This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Martin Luther King Day today, so a national holiday, but the Freedom Hut keeps on rolling. So figure we would uh, get into all the latest. A lot of news from the weekend, from today, and of course upcoming this week because of the inauguration, but we are in the midst of quite a battle. I have never seen, in my lifetime, to be sure, I have never seen such blatant attempts by, well, we're not exactly sure who it is yet. We don't know for sure who is the person or who the persons are that have taken it upon themselves to try and knock out the stool from under the Trump administration before it even stands up and takes office but we know that someone's trying to do it and the intel community has being has been made to look really bad here i i want to take a step back for a moment we've talked so much about this russia dossier and i remember very well the sorts of things that were included in various pdbs it is possible that they're they will put in something that is entirely unclassified if it's really 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 important why did they do it in this instance? Why would CIA Director Brennan stand behind this? And what are they really trying to accomplish by letting Donald Trump know that there are allegations out there that are unproven and that have already in part been disproven that he did some really terrible stuff or gross stuff, a combination that depends on which aspect of the dossier we are talking about at any given time. But CIA Director Brennan was pushed on this issue. He's speaking to the press. And let me just tell you, and this is, I rarely go to the, my friends in Langley tell me, but I do have friends still in Langley, some very, very close friends, some that are just more former associates that I can chat with when I need to. And the word on Brennan is that this is, remember, he was Obama's, he was Obama's, uh, I forget what his specific role is. He had a senior White House national security role. Was he a national security advisor? Or that was, Rice? I forget what he was before. But he's an Obamaite. He is a devotee to all things Obama. A very political guy. Also likes to cultivate sources in the press and use those sources to get certain stories out there without necessarily the hand of the administration attached to it. This is known. This came up in some previous hearings over some leaks. In one case, they managed to prove that it wasn't Brennan that had leaked some very sensitive stuff. Very And the sort of, the sort of things that you, you don't leak 
because they're not public. Uh, there's no public knowledge or need for public knowledge of them. And there is the possibility of a real national security incident. People could lose their lives because of certain things that have been leaked under the Obama administration. But they were leaks from individuals who took it upon themselves to say stuff. So you get Brennan, though, known as and even from my sources inside Langley, known as somebody who has a very close ties to President Obama and is known to use the press for his own purposes as a megaphone to play policy games, to play politics, not talking about for national security reasons, but for reasons of uh, domestic partisan warfare. That's what Brennan is is known for. I do not know many people that have a particularly high estimation of his analytic or intellectual capabilities. He seems sufficient to do the job of CIA director but not somebody with whom I know anyone who's overly impressed. And my guys inside Langley tend to always be right about this. They always referred to Petraeus as, as King David, which was a, a name that others had given to him as well. But Petraeus was just so arrogant, so unbelievably arrogant and full of himself all the time. And that was his reputation, including from people I knew who worked very closely and continuously with him. That when all the stuff came out about him, you know, Petraeus under the desk... Married guy, sharing stuff he shouldn't. Didn't surprise me all that much. Maybe the brazenness of it surprised me, but the fact that Petraeus just thought that he was allowed to, he could eat cookies out of the cookie jar, wouldn't get caught. I don't know what else to say. He, he could get away with things. Was not surprising at all, based on what I had heard from firsthand knowledge of the man. And so Brennan, as a political infighter and an Obama loyalist, that's the reputation. So keep that in mind. Then he gets pushed on the dossier, the Trump-Russia dossier. And this is what he has to say. Play the clip. Well, I think as the director of national intelligence uh, said in his statement, uh, this is information that's been out there circulating for many months. So it's not a question of the intelligence community leaking or releasing this information. It was already out there. But I must but tell you... it hadn't been reported on. And one of the reasons it hadn't is because it hadn't been verified. And when you briefed the president on it, you collectively briefed the president on it, president-elect, that made it news. Well, nothing has been verified. It is unsubstantiated reporting that is out there that has been circulating in the private sector and in the media as well by a firm that pulled this information together. But what I do find outrageous is uh, equating an intelligence community with Nazi Germany. I do take great umbrage at that, and there is no basis for uh, Mr. Trump to point fingers at the intelligence community for leaking information that was already available publicly. Okay, let's now take this apart piece by piece. A lot of disingenuousness, a lot of smarmy dishonesty from CIA Director Brennan here. Keep in mind, last day's, last days this guy's in office, last days of the Obama presidency, and these are people who do not care much for fair play. These are people who believe in all-out, zero-sum partisan warfare. These are leftists. They are progressives. They are absolutely enraged at Donald Trump and all of his supporters for stealing the crown away from Queen Clinton. They're absolutely apoplectic about this. And they believe that their actions, therefore, are entirely justified, no matter what they are. Anything to hurt this administration and anything to burnish the credentials of the outgoing administration. 
this is the scenario in which we find ourselves right now. You got Brennan out there saying this stuff. Let me just pull apart some of this. First of all, okay, he's saying it was unclassified. We felt that the president should know about it. How did anybody know that it was included in that briefing? Why, if it's for that president to know, why did he tell Obama and Biden? He could have made, they could have made a judgment call that this was a personal issue, a personnel issue for Donald Trump. They didn't have to let every, and there are also are these reports that they told members of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence that this was something they were going to talk about. Why include it in that highly classified setting at all? Why was it part of the book, that briefing? This could have been, and this is very important, this could have been a phone call from the CIA director to Donald Trump on an unclassified line, quite honestly, based on the fact that this entire document was already in widespread circulation and has no classification because it did not come from any sources or methods that would make it classified. So the, the CIA director could have pulled aside Donald Trump and said, hey, look, this is out there. I know it's crazy, President-elect. I know it's ins- I know it looks like madness. Just wanted to give you the heads up. You're going to tell me that in this day and age there wasn't a way to do this that didn't turn this into a news story? How does anyone think this is okay? This was included in the president's inner sanctum, his intel briefing, and it's all out there, and it was all shared with the world. I'm telling you this was a political hit. This was meant to hurt the president of the United States. They could have done this in a way that it would not have been out there in the media and you would have had such smugness from CNN. Oh, we're just reporting on the existence of it. We're not verifying it. But by reporting on the existence of it in that CIA or that rather DNI, that intelligence agency briefing, it makes it seem to a lot of people like there must be something there. There are ways to report on rumors. There are ways to share unclassified information with the decision makers in the United States government, with the president himself, that don't turn it into a national news story. And yet somehow here we are. They really think, and and I get people out there telling me, oh, well, Buck, what you don't understand is they're going to prove all this. This is all real. Well, if they really think it's real, they should wait till they have proof before they show it to the president. They're not saying it's real at all. They, there is not one person in the intel community right now who would stand behind, yeah, this is true. We, 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 can, we can tell you that this is true. And Trump is, despite what the media tells you, not an idiot. He knows the game that's being played here. He knows that right now the sensitivity about Russian uh, election interference and hacking and U.S.-Russia policy and NATO... This has the media frothy mouth. They are freaking out about this. And magically, this dossier just appears in his intel briefing. And then you get Brennan out there. Notice the pivot, by the way. I've, I've always thought Brennan was just a slimy one. Just a slimy one. Quite honestly, so was I. I'm very unimpressed with, with uh, Morell, who, if you see some of the, there was a release, I didn't get a chance to talk about it on air, of the people that were supposed to be Hillary Clinton's cabinet. First of all, John Podesta was going to be Secretary of State. Think about that for a second. 
What's your password? Password. And Mike Morrell is going to be CIA director, DNI, one of those. He's going to have a very senior position. And Morrell is also a political infighter and somebody who's trying to further his own career by adhering to the Democratic Party's wishes. So we get all this going on right now, and we're supposed to believe this is an accident. You notice that in Brennan's, in the interview there uh, on Fox News, he pivots right away from, well, we thought it was included. And, and for him to call us Nazis, that's just beyond the pale. Uh, he didn't call them Nazis. He said, what is this Nazi Germany? I mean, Trump is somebody who is prone, as you know, to overstatement. The whether the uh, whether the incoming administration frames things in that way or not, he didn't say that the CIA is run by Nazis. It's just it's a non sequitur. It's irrelevant. Brennan shouldn't be getting into that. But you'll but you see that he has this desire, this need to. Oh, they've really hurt our feelings. Tell you something. Intel Intel agencies are full of people that know they really can't be fired. Very, very hard to get rid of any one of them. None of them are going to be singled out by the executive branch for to be fired. They're not sitting around all worried, okay? It's not a big deal. If they feel like the president has taken some shots at the credibility of the intelligence agencies, this notion that it undermines national security, oh, but undermining the president-elect of the United States, the commander-in-chief, that's all fine. They can't have it both ways. And the false reverence that I see from the left the same left that didn't want ROTC on campus, the same left that wanted to prosecute members of the CIA for waterboarding, for doing their jobs to stop jihadist, bloodthirsty murderers from killing thousands more Americans, that same American left, some of those same Democrats in Congress are now pretending that, oh, the intel community, how, how could you? How could you get so disrespectful to the hollowed hallways of Langley? Well, this is a new thing because I was in the intel community under the Bush administration. And I seem to recall all I heard about was how we got weapons of mass destruction wrong, even though not as wrong as the media certainly thinks the agency did. I seem to recall that we were doing things in the war on that there was rendition and there were black sites and there was waterboarding, all these horrible things we were doing. Oh, we were so evil trying to stop savage barbarians like, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed from bringing down more towers or blowing up more planes full of men, women, and children in this country. I, I still remember that. So I really don't want to hear the lectures now from the left, from, oh, CNN, oh, from all these wimps out there that are pretending they love the intel community so much, and how could anybody object to how brilliant the intel community is? It's so transparently political, it's pathetic. All right. Much more coming, team. 888-900-3393. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. It's... 
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, welcome back. 888-900-3393. President Obama, in classic Obama fashion, has forgotten all about that mentality that he had for his presidency of I won, the people have spoken, I'm in power, I get to do what I want. And the regulations that he's slamming in at the very last minute here just give the lie to all that stuff. We were told that because the people had spoken, there should be a a willingness to go along with Obama on all of this. Well, there's not much justification, is there, for Obama taking actions in the last days of his presidency that will unsettle longstanding policies right before the Trump administration comes into office? that will make uh, things more complicated for the Trump administration. I have been saying this for a while, and I don't know how quickly I'll be proven right, but I'm quite confident that we will see that the Obama administration has been doing all sorts of things with regard to immigration and the border without notifying the American people and without giving us any public hearing on it. I'm sure that, and what are, you might say, Buck, what are they doing? I'd have to sit around and start coming up with any number of things. Certainly enforcement priorities have changed. They've dropped deportations dramatically. There are a number of places where it's quite clear that this administration is trying to make it as difficult as possible for the Trump administration when it comes in. So we'll see. We'll see if I'm right on that. Obama is also taking actions on national security and foreign policy that are clearly meant to cement his legacy, even though they will undoubtedly complicate matters for the incoming Trump administration. The change of the wet foot, dry foot policy, for example, with Cuba, which I mentioned to you, is just goading. Yes, sure, it's a continuation of Obama's unilateral thaw with Cuba, not just unilateral on our side of things and that the U.S. government isn't behind the Congress isn't behind this as well. This is just Obama deciding that it's in his hands to upend 50 plus years of policy. But uh, it's also meant to complicate matters for Trump because now you'll have Cuban Americans in Florida who may be advocating for a return to that policy. And just when Trump is saying there should be a strong border, he's going to be in the position of changing legal status for some just because there may be very good reasons for that and we can talk about that and people will but it is singling out one group and saying well they get to stay others have to go so there there's an effort underway with that as well Uh, the federal register at the end of 2016 so it's just been added to in the last couple of weeks 
is now 97,110 pages. So that's that's what the federal government, the federal government's rules take up 97,000 pages. And this uh, this administration has just seen an, an explosion in the federal register. They've been pushing for it each year. And of these last rules, the Obama administration is smashing in. I'm sorry, this is the highest it's been in 11 years in terms of regulations. So over a decade, um, there were 3,410 new rules added to the Federal Register last year. 629 of them have been flagged, according to Forbes, as having notable effects on small businesses. There are another 2,391 proposed rules in the year-end pipeline that are being considered as well. So they're trying to slam through all this stuff, which is just going to take time and bog down the incoming administration. If it wasn't something you had to do in the last seven years, I don't think you should do it at the end of the eighth. We're not talking about emergency national security measures here. So some of these are non-regulatory notices, to be sure, but others are going to have an impact on the economy and on businesses. And Obama just doesn't care, doesn't care the Democrats are completely going to be are going to be completely out of power, except as an opposition party. He's going to get away with as much as he can in the last days of his presidency. And the effort to make the Trump administration look as bad as possible for inauguration week, it really has been all in for the Democrats. We've got more. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I know we shouldn't spend too much time on the Clintons because they're not going to be much of a thing anymore. We should also make sure we take time to celebrate that. You could have been subjected to eight years of Hillary and Bill Clinton speeches. I mean, it would have been amazing. I would have had parties afterwards, too, because I wouldn't even been running things. I've just been hanging out. You know, hey, ladies. Who wants to come by and talk after a speech? I mean, when you're when you're trying to run the free world from behind the scenes, you need a foot massage every now and again, you know? There's a couple of corns here and there. It's a little rough, but don't worry about the calluses, ladies. Just give them a, give those feet a rub. Ugh, I know, gross. You, you don't have to deal with that anymore. You don't have to worry about Bill Clinton making appearances in your nightmares, at least not because you have to see him in speech after speech, whether he's giving it or standing right behind Hillary Clinton. And you don't have to hear Hillary. I love the American people. Oh, my gosh, she had a terrible voice. And I don't say that to be mean, although maybe it's a little mean. But she's mean, so I'm okay with it. Terrible voice. And then you had Chelsea Clinton, too. Oh, let's all clap for Chelsea. Yeah, she's accomplished so much. It's been so hard. Oh, she got into Stanford, I bet because she's brilliant, not because she's a Clinton. And then she went and worked for some fancy places for like a year or two each. And then she married a hedge fund manager and lived in a $10 million apartment. I mean, I just, we live in a capitalist society. We have good reasons for allowing people to have trust funds and inheritance and all the rest of it. I don't, I don't 
Look, I wish. I wish I was sitting on $100 million. It'd be great. I wish I was sitting on a million dollars. That would be great. I wish I was sitting on... <laughs> I'd go all the way down the line. Oh, man. Uh, many of you listening, I feel like, you know, maybe you could uh, throw some money in a hat for me. Anyway, uh, I just don't have to sit around and listen to Chelsea Clinton giving speeches about how awesome she is. That's a nice victory for all of us. That's a, that's a victory for America. Hashtag America. But there was one thing that during the course of the campaign and early on when it was still in the primary they let me, I couldn't, I didn't really understand why. They must have lost some people at the last moment. They let me join a few post-Democrat debate panels at CNN. And I was able to just let it fly on how Clinton is, because I was saying if I, if I were a progressive, which I'm not, but if I were a progressive, I would be for Bernie. Because at least I think he believes much of what he says. It's bad policy. It wouldn't work. It's a terrible idea. But at least there's some underlying basic human decency that Bernie Sanders exudes. Is it real or not? I don't know. Was I feeling the burn? Not really. Nonetheless, it was fun to be on a panel where you saw Bernie and Hillary squaring off against each other. And then I got to sit there and point out, because... There were so many Clintonistas and Clintonistos over at CNN, people who not only were rooting for Hillary for ideological reasons, but were surrogates of the campaign. They, they were going to get really plum jobs, great assignments, access, all the rest of it. Not only were they some of them going to have roles in an administration, but even if they were just in media, they knew they were going to have fantastic access to the White House and get scoops and... They get to be lazy and look like they're intrepid journalists, all the rest of it. And so they were secretly, quietly furious when someone like me would show up and point out that at least Bernie Sanders is keeping it real. At least Bernie Sanders is saying what the Democratic Party really is, which is a statist collectivist party. He's a democratic socialist. He's just somebody that believes that the government is there to solve all problems, that there's really no individual or private property rights that are sacrosanct. And if you get smart people together who believe in lining up individuals into different classes by level of historical injustice and current protected needs and all the rest of it, that that's how you should order a society. But Bernie was honest. And I give I give credit where it's due. Hillary was grotesquely corrupt and any human being who was going to stand in front of me as many of them did or sit next to me as many of them did and say that the Clinton Foundation was doing good work all over the world and how dare someone like me impugn it they're either a liar or a moron there were, there's no third option you're either a liar or you're really not smart and if you're really not smart I, I there's a part of me that does have some sympathy for that. It's maybe not the individual's fault, but you probably shouldn't be on national television in a battle of wits with other people. Not the best place, although some of the dumbest people imaginable do get plenty of airtime on TV, let me tell you. One of the things I like about radio is on radio you can't hide. On radio you can't have, I don't have somebody else writing what I'm going to say. I'm just speaking to you. 
I don't have somebody else pulling together all my research and all my thoughts for me and putting it on a screen, and I just get to sit there and read and then read the questions then turn back. For most people on television that you see in the news business, 80 to 90% of their job is how they look and how they sound. Really how they look. Hair and makeup, baby. That's most of it. I like radio because radio exposes frauds. Not That doesn't mean that everybody on radio isn't. You can't be a fraud on your radio, but you have to at least have content that's from you. You have to read. You have to research. You have to know things. You have to have a willingness and an ability to extend yourself beyond reading off of a prompter. But I digress. So I would see all of this stuff. I would see it all happening. And I would think to myself, okay, here we are. It's very obvious to me that... The Clintons are absolutely, positively the most corrupt, powerful politicians in the United States government, and they've and they've become fabulously wealthy by pretending to run a charity, or rather, running a charity whose primary purpose is not helping people or good causes, but a charity with a primary purpose of enriching and empowering certain people. It was so very, very obvious. It was so very, very obvious. And yet, when I would bring that up, they would look at me like I was crazy. How, and worse than that, how dare you? How dare you, Buck Sexton from the blaze? Hillary Clinton cares about the children. Bill Clinton cares about... Women's education. I'll educate them. It is unfathomable to them that this could have all been a scam. And I was waiting all along for the possibility that if Hillary lost, if Hillary lost, we would see the truth of this. We would see the truth of the. And this is important, by the way, because anyone that you saw on TV that was defending the Clinton Foundation is either a liar, or a moron. Anyone. Anyone who is pretending that this was first and foremost, I'm not saying it didn't do any charitable work. Guess what? The mob owns all kinds of businesses, or used to when it was a bigger thing. It still exists, but not quite the way it used to. But if you have organized crime running a laundromat, and they're also you know, laundering money in the back room, yeah, sure, they probably do a good job tailoring some shirts and doing some dry cleaning. I believe that. But if the business's main purpose is to launder money in the back, not to do laundry in the front, that's a problem. The Clinton Foundation sure did some stuff. Never really got a good sense of it. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I don't recall ever seeing any really in-depth stories about how the Clintons were saving lives. They were really just sloshing cash around, maybe moving it from one NGO to another or one government to another NGO taking their cut along the way, unnecessary middlemen in the whole process. But the proof was going to come when we found out if the Clintons don't achieve power, what happens to this charity? I present you with the New York Observer, observer observer.com. The Clinton Foundation is shutting down the Clinton Global Initiative. The Clinton Global Initiative, according to its own 
website here, uh, according to its own mission statement, is to create and implement innovative solutions, innovative solutions to the world's most pressing challenges. Okay. To date, members of the CGI community have made more than 3,600 commitments which have improved the lives of over 435 million people in more than 180 countries. Wow, they have a huge network. They must be spending a ton of cash. They've helped over 435 million people. They must be doing great stuff. This must be really important, although you notice the language they use here is all so vague. Innovative solutions for global... What does that even mean? What does the Red Cross do? Uh, you know vaccinations, uh, give people tetanus shots, give people antibiotics. You know, when, when, when no one has to sit around and wonder, what does the Red Cross do? What does wounded warriors do? I mean, you know what charities that are real charities do. Clinton Global Initiative, man, not really so clear. Oh, and guess what? They're shutting it down. That's right. The CGI. Hillary just lost. And now, because they have to tell when they're shutting down these things under New York law, when you when you they're laying off 22 employees, they're firing 22 people who work for the Clinton Global Initiative are losing their jobs. I just have to ask, and I would love to get a chance to go on CNN and talk about this one. Do you think there's going to be any talk about the Clinton Foundation coming forward over there? I don't think so. I'd love to ask, so have all the global challenges been solved? All the solutions that the Clinton Global Initiative was bringing together, never mind the overall Clinton Foundation, which is the sort of mothership for all this stuff, but the Clinton, Clinton Global Initiative, you read on their own, or I read you from their own website, 3,500 commitments helping hundreds of millions of people around the world. The Clintons are so connected. They've raised so much money. They must be doing fantastic stuff. It all goes away right after Hillary loses? Oh, because you mean foreign governments all of a sudden aren't writing checks to the Clinton Global Initiative? Yeah, that's that's what's happening. Now is where you really get to see whether someone's a liar or a moron on this issue. Maybe we should start doing a segment. Liar or moron? As these foreign governments stop sending multi-million dollar checks to the CGI, the Clinton Global Initiative, some are going to step forward if the media presses this story, which they probably won't because they've got too much Trump to destroy. Some will step forward and say that there is, you know, that's just complicated, that there's nothing to see here, that there was no connection between the two. I wonder, and then I would just want to ask, how stupid do these Clinton hacks think that we are? This is supposed to be a coincidence. It's been a couple of months since the election. They're firing a couple of dozen people from the Clinton Global Initiative. They're going to be firing a lot more from the Clinton Foundation, my friends. Trust me, the money is going to be drying up faster and faster some will continue it for a little bit because it will look so obvious otherwise but the money is going to continuously be going down because people were not trying to help anybody they were buying goodwill and access and favors from the clintons and the clintons were selling them freely it was the biggest global corruption scam in the history of this country we're supposed to worry about russia hacking emails all right Take a break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network.
This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back. Marion, Arizona, we got a minute and change. I wanted to get you in. Thanks for calling. What's up? Thank you for uh, bringing in all your knowledge. Uh, Thank you. Into the blaze. And I just wanted to say with everything that I've learned with Hillary and all the corruption that's been going on, I don't know if you ever saw uh, the series 24. Oh, yeah. My son, my I've son seen some of it, not all of it. That. I saw the first, season, the first season. Oh, I saw them all. Uh, on, I, I don't know what channel to you. Should I, I watch them all? But anyways, they ha- oh, yeah, yeah. They ha- that, that, that program had me on edge. And I said to my son, I said, you know what? This, this series has the government to the T. <laughs> to the T. I'm not kidding. It, was, it had me on edge. Um, and I read the book that uh, Glenn Beck wrote um, on liars. Uh, and I just don't only listen to that, but I try to do my own research and everything. But let me tell you something. When you guys bring the, the, the commentaries or the news uh, to the blaze, you guys are all on tape. We're all, all, I'm sorry, the last one cut out. What was that? You, you hit it right on the nail every time. Oh, yeah, you thank you. You bring the truth to us. That's what, that's what we try to do. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate that. And that's just what I wanted to say. And I really thank you a lot for, for everything you guys do. Well, Mary, Mary, thank you so much. I really appreciate you listening and giving me your time every day. Thanks for being a part of Team Buck and Shields High. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Uh, team, we've got a lot more to talk about in the next hour. So I'm getting ready, gearing up for that now. Oh, we've got Trump saying that he wants insurance for everybody. That's kind of interesting. That's going to take some talking from folks about some stuff uh, that's vague, but intentionally think of that as a, te- a teaser based on the vagueness. If you want specificity, if you want analysis, you got to just hang with me a little bit through this break. Take some calls to 888-900-3393. I think we might do Facebook Live tomorrow, by the way, at 3 Eastern, uh, Books with Buck. And I'll be on Fox Business a couple of times today. Uh, coming up at 8 p.m. More coming. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the hut. Our friend Sean Davis joins us now. He is the co-founder of The Federalist, excellent site, thefederalist.com, to read all the latest there, including Sean's most recent pieces. Mr. Davis, good to have you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. All right, man. A lot going on in the world today. First off, I was just speaking about the Clinton Global Initiative closing down. Wouldn't one think that now there'd be more time for fundraising, more time to focus on the needy children of the world, Sean, and yet all of a sudden, less donations, less activity? It just doesn't add up. Isn't it strange how this thing, which totally wasn't a blatant influence peddling organization, shut down? right after its main reason for existing lost in elections. Isn't that a weird coincidence? 
It's very strange to me, and I wonder how people are going to explain this one, because some are going to raise this, because we remembered during the campaign being told that if we didn't support the fantastic work, the great work of the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton Global Initiative, uh, we were stealing food out of the mouths of hungry babies. Well, yeah, so the the thing is, to anyone, this will come as a surprise to anyone who didn't uh, spend even a few minutes looking at the Clinton Foundation's financials which is to say this will shock every single person in the political press corps. Um, if you actually look at the Clinton Foundation's finances, this was not a big charity doing charity work. That was actually a totally separate entity started years and years ago by uh, Ira Magazine or a Clinton confidant. But if you look at the Clinton Foundation financials, their biggest programs were the Clinton Global Initiative, which was basically all the prep and money it took to have this big, glitzy annual dinner – and then the second big, biggest uh, initiative of the, of the Clinton Foundation was maintaining Bill Clinton's presidential library in Little Rock. So the fact that their big influence peddling war pretty much dried up after Hillary uh, uh, lost is not a surprise at all to anyone who has any level of familiarity with the Clinton Foundation's finances. What are your thoughts? So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent on all of that. Put that in the book, everybody, or you know, put it in the books or in your book if you're writing one. Uh, Sean, the latest with the back and forth between the intel community and Trump, I see a lot of conservatives that I like and who are smart seem to think that Trump is totally in the wrong here, that he's going way off the reservation by saying nasty things about, uh, I just realized off the reservation is probably a microaggression. I shouldn't say that. He's going, right? he's, he's going way all, uh, off script by attacking the intel community. Uh I see the intel community. Someone's leaking stuff and doing stuff that seems like political hackery to me, and I used to be in the intel community. You're exactly right, and I'll defer to you on all that stuff because you have experiences that I just don't have. But from an outsider looking in, there are kind of two stories going on, and one's not getting any real coverage. The first story is the substance. Oh, let's look at all these salacious rumors about Trump that appear to be coming from the intelligence community, and then let's all pretend they're correct, and then we can all have a freakout based on our assumption that the stuff that's totally anonymous and unsourced and unverified is true. So that's, that's story number one. Story number two, which is not getting any coverage, and this is what's fascinating to me, is who is doing the leaking? Now, I remember during the Bush administration um, that a uh, columnist mentioned um, that a guy who was freelancing out in the Middle East trying to do WMD research was married to a CIA agent. And that ended up getting a Bush White House person uh, official uh, convicted, and he wasn't even the guy who leaked it. Uh, now, let's look at what's happening now. We have uh, contents of intercepts, of phone intercepts that are being leaked. Um, that, to me, is a pretty big deal, and there seems to be a very, very small universe of people who that kind of information can come from. Uh, and if I were them, I'd either be getting a lawyer or I'd be hoping that January 20th never comes because they are going to be in huge trouble for illegally leaking once Donald Trump takes office. I love that people act like I'm in this is on Twitter and I talked to this a little bit on Fox over the weekend and some of the reaction that I saw in, on the interwebs, which is you should never pay attention to, as you know, Sean, but it's hard not to sometimes. <laughs> you want to just I just want to grab people and say, what is wrong with you? Uh, that the phone call between Flynn and the Russian ambassador was even known to anyone in the press um, unless they unless the media has a, a mole like a secretary who overheard Flynn calling the Russian ambo the Russians certainly didn't leak that Flynn certainly didn't leak that 
This is a phone call from one party to another. They have the date and time information on it. You know enough. I know enough. Anybody paying attention knows enough to know that that's the kind of information you only get from certain places. And if it came from those places, it is an absolutely egregious and wildly illegal leak of personal information. That's right. And so what we know, so we, we don't actually know anything about this phone call. All we know is that they talked, uh, which is totally unsurprising, seeing as how Flynn is going to be the national security advisor in about three days and 22 hours and 55 minutes, not that anyone's counting. So there, there's two ways they could have gotten this information. Either they wiretapped Flynn himself, which would have required a FISA warrant, and you're not even allowed to dis- disclose the existence of a FISA warrant, let alone the information collected uh, through it. Or they had tapped the Russian ambassador. So let's just assume it's, it's the least crazy one of all and that they tapped the Russian ambassador. Well, you know what? That guy now knows exactly where the information came from, and that uh, source of signal intelligence is now completely burned just so somebody in the intelligence community, probably two, one of two or three people, uh, wanted a, a nasty little headline or article in the Washington Post to slam Trump. Uh, the, whoever did that deserves to be in prison. It, it's absurd, and we shouldn't tolerate that from anyone towards any politician, regardless of the party or ideology. Now, let's talk a bit about the comments that Trump made yesterday, which, of course, it's still vague, but saying that there's going to be insurance, that he wants insurance for everybody. Do, is this, do we think that Republicans are going to be able to keep it on the path here and actually get this done with Obamacare, or do you see cracks coming? What, what, is, this, what is this Trump insurance for everybody? What could that mean? Should people be cons- Should conservatives be as concerned as I see some of them are, or do you think this is just... Look, let's wait till we see what the the Congress, Republican-led Congress, comes up with, and let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, so I will say, having spent uh, a lot of time as a conservative working in uh, Republican congressional circles, conservatives should always be worried when Republican leadership and Republicans in Congress start thinking about doing stuff, because there is a good chance they're going to do something that's not all that conservative. Um, when you combine just that general. Uh, awareness that people should have with the stuff Trump said during the campaign. Uh, I'm not going to be surprised at all if they don't even repeal a tiny fraction of Obamacare, or, or maybe they'll repeal it, replace it with virtually the same stuff and brand it as their own thing. But I personally don't have any faith, based on what I've seen and heard and have experienced these people, that they're going to do anything remotely close to repealing the entirety of Obamacare. What should they do? Are you for pull the whole thing out, root and branch, and and step by step? put pieces back into place what what is the what is the best outcome here so so there that's two questions there and so one is strategic and one is tactical so the strategic question is should they repeal the entire thing every last word and i say as someone uh who has dealt with the law both as a you know the head of a family and the owner of a business it is a nightmare it crushes small businesses you know my family's personal premiums have gone way up our deductibles have gone way up our choice has gone down and our actual care has gotten worse. So I think without a doubt, you have to repeal the whole thing and start over. So then we get to the second question, which is tactical. Uh, should they repeal it all at once and then replace it all at once? Should they repeal it all at once and replace it bit by bit? Should they repeal it bit by bit? Uh, I could make good arguments for each of those. I don't think I have strong feelings either way. But if they're not committed to repealing the whole thing, I, I, I don't think it matters. 
And now, Sean, I told you we'd talk about all the things. And whenever we get Sean Davis in the Freedom Hut, that's what we do. It's like uh, it's like PTI, but on matters of national security and politics instead of, you know, who throws the best spiral out on the field. So we got the feud between Trump and uh, and Lewis. What are your what are your thoughts on Representative Lewis's comments that and by the way, do we have that audio? If we do, let me know. Um, uh, uh, let's let's play it for a second here. President elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I, I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected mm -hmm. and they helped destroy the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. Okay, so this is uh, beyond, and we're going to revisit this later in the show as well, uh, team, but I, I wanted, Sean, you, your reaction to this. I, I, and I know this is unpopular. I feel this way about John McCain, too. That somebody did something heroic at one point in their life, yeah, that you can always refer to them as a hero for that heroism. It doesn't mean they can say whatever they want without criticism and they're always right. I mean, I apply this to John McCain and John Lewis. I wouldn't have taken Trump's tact on this, but I could probably say that about everything every day. What do you think about this whole dust-up? To me, the fact that you got a, member, a sitting member of Congress, I don't know who it is, saying the incoming president is illegitimate is, is foul play. Well, gosh, I remember during a certain presidential beta, uh, debate a couple months ago um, how the press and the Democratic establishment uh, reacted with horror at Trump's refusal to concede a race that hadn't even happened yet. We were told it was un-American, that it was treason, that it was traitorous, but that was only when they thought Hillary was going to win. So now that Hillary's lost and Trump won, um, all that goes out the window, and of course we have to say he's illegitimate because he's a Republican and Republicans aren't allowed to be – uh, president when there's a Democrat who wants it, which brings us to John Lewis. So I think without a doubt, um, he is an American civil rights hero and, and, and an icon. What he did during the civil rights movement um, and what he endured is remarkable, and we should all respect him for that. With that said, I don't really care what he has to say about uh, Donald Trump or Russia, because he would say any Republican president is illegitimate. Um, he was saying the same things roughly about McCain during the OA campaign. Uh, I, I honestly, I just don't care what he thinks. Uh, right. and, I, and for the record, this is what I feel. Everyone said with John McCain, we're talking about tax policy or McCain-Feingold. There was well, but he's a hero for what he did for his country. Yeah, we, I, of course, right? They, no one's trying, at least no one that in this context of the conversation is trying to say anything about that. Just like with John Lewis, well, what he did was heroic and that's untouchable and that's his legacy. But that doesn't mean that now you get to just say anything and everyone goes, well, he was a civil rights hero, so he must be correct here. And it's interesting that McCain yeah, he, actually got criticism from Lewis because it's like, they're both heroes. What do we do? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think kind of the same about Marcus Luttrell, who's the Navy SEAL featured in Lone Survivor. He is an amazing human being, an amazing man and soldier, and he did incredible things. Um, but as much as I love Marcus, I don't care what he thinks about, like, uh, CO2 regs at EPA. And, like, you know, when, when Chris I don't think Marcus Kyle's cares either, but I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't care what Chris Kyle thought about the appropriate uh, uh, lowest tax bracket and whether we should have certain tax credits. I just don't care. Um, you know, kind of stick to what you know, stick to your expertise. Um, and, and when I see people, especially politicians of any stripe, trying to use uh, moral uh, capital that they gained decades ago in completely different circumstances and then use it to morally blackmail me now for not agreeing with their partisan political preferences, I, I have no patience for it, and I, I just don't care. Last one for you, Sean. And we're speaking to Sean Davis, the co-founder of The Federalist. The Federalist is one of the sites that I can tell you all I have bookmarked on my browser. I think it's a great site, and Sean writes there, as do many of his 
editors and our friend Ben Dominich as well. Uh, uh, Sean, there's 20, I think, members of Congress skipping the inauguration. Big deal, not a big deal, being a bunch of whiners, up to them. What do you think? Yeah, I don't care. I kind of don't care who goes. I don't care who doesn't go. Um, you know, if, if they represent a district where everyone, you know, hates the guy who's doing it and their form of protest is not attending an inauguration where their presence is, quite honestly, pretty irrelevant and not at all consequential to the events, fine. If people want to go and, you know, get up close to him or sit behind him, fine. I, I don't care. It's all political theater. It's pageantry. I wish they'd spend a little more time doing their jobs and a little less time trying to get coverage uh, by talking about what event they are or aren't going to go to. What do you think about paring it down to just a swearing? I'm anti-presidential pageantry across the board. I want just a swearing in ceremony and that's it. I want uh, no more giant motorcades in D.C. like you're traveling through Mogadishu or Kabul or something. Uh, you know, no more State of the Union address just because I'm, I'm, I want to do away with a lot of this stuff. Oh, I'm 100 percent on Team Buck. Let, let's start shrinking the office uh, down to what the uh, founders intended and stop treating it like it's some, you know, gigantic celebrity with uh, rock stars and movie stars all the time coming in and out of the White House. Just just do your job. Do it quietly and then move on when you're done. Sean Davis of the Federalist, everybody. He is at Sean, S-E-A-N-M-D-A-V on Twitter. Sean, great to have you, sir. Come back soon. We'll talk to you. Always fun. Thank you, Buck. Team, we'll be back right after this break. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Sponsor this half-hour team is SilencerShop.com. Silencer makes shooting more fun. A silencer is a fantastic accessory to have for your firearm. It'll protect your hearing. It'll do all kinds of great things for you, make the whole experience more enjoyable. So Silencer Shop is the place to go. They offer the simplest experience for buying the most straightforward process you can get. And customers can trust Silencer Shop to handle the process of getting a silencer quickly and correctly since they submit more forms than anybody in the country by a huge margin. Uh, Hunters often go without hearing protection because it's uncomfortable. A silencer from silencershop.com provides hearing protection without being uncomfortable or impacting your outdoor experience. So please, team, check it out, silencershop.com. Again, that is silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. I was going to like start singing there for a second. I don't know why. All right. New York Times uh, reporting on this, and I'm seeing it just now. So pardon me as I'm taking in the details, but I want to just mention this to you. The FBI has arrested the wife of Omar Mateen, who was the Pulse nightclub shooter in Orlando, Florida. That horrific jihadist mass murder spree. We are always told in these circumstances by the media, well, let's not jump to conclusions, and we don't know if the family knew, but there is a part of us, I think, that understands that, especially when we're talking about a spouse, someone who's around this individual who has radicalized, they knew nothing, they said nothing, never got an inclination. Now, of course, in some cases, I would bet that is true, but we're always told that, and I know there's a part of me that, when you've got one of these guys who has a long history of 
radical statements, and he didn't ever say anything to his wife? Well, the FBI has taken Noor Salman, the wife of Omar Mateen, into custody. Prosecutors have been thinking about uh, bringing charges against her for obstruction. Uh, investigators, according to New York Times, here interviewed Miss Salman for hours after the attack and came to believe that she was not telling the truth about her husband's plans to carry out the rampage. I can tell you this. If they are bringing charges against her, they've got her on something. They're not going to bring an, they're not, they're not going to bring an obstruction charge in this kind of a situation unless it's really clear. Uh, I would I would wager at least. I don't know. It hasn't yet been released publicly what they think she said that was uh, untruthful or what she did, what she hid from them. But when you look at these situations, whether it's what happened with the San Bernardino shooters out in California, also jihadists, you look at the Pulse nightclub shooting by Omar Mateen, jihadist, usually somebody knew something. And knowing something and not saying anything is not necessarily a crime. This is where you get into a very interesting, nuanced, and dark area of the law. Dark in the sense of it's the dark part of human nature. How could anybody know that such a thing might be underway and not want to take immediate action to stave off this mass murder? Was it over 60 people gunned down? Around 60 people gunned down in that nightclub. Many more, scores more wounded. Uh, just shot like they were nothing by this psychopath acting on behalf of the Islamic State. If the wife knew stuff and she lied to investigators, they've got to make an example of her. This isn't some little tax fraud case or something, and, you know, it's her husband. When we're talking mass murder, jihadist terror attack on U.S. soil, if you know anything, you got to tell the truth and you got to tell it right away. And if you knew stuff and didn't say anything, you better pray that the FBI and federal prosecutors don't get anything on you to charge because you're not going to get any mercy from them, and you shouldn't. So we'll see what happens here. But uh, Pulse nightclub shooting in the headlines once again because the wife is facing charges. All right, team, we've got a lot more show coming up. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, you've heard of the different uh, stages of grief before, right? The five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I think we've even mentioned this once before on the show. So at first, the Democrats were definitely in denial. Trump didn't win. And then there's been the rage. And they may be in the bargaining phase now. And depression simultaneously? Is that... I think they're trying to find some way to make themselves feel better about it. We had Meryl Streep stand up, got way too much attention, and, and I fell into the, the Streep trap, too, by talking to her, or talking about her, talking to her. Hey, Meryl, what's up? Let's hang. Didn't happen. Although it totally could, because we could talk about The Devil Wears Prada, which, yeah, some of, you, some of you gave me heat for saying that's a good movie, and you know what? 
That's fine. You're allowed to give me heat for that. But I just want you to know that I am honest with you even about chick flicks that I watch and do not hate. So that that is a thing that happens sometimes. I'm not all action movies all the time. I love freedom in America, uh, but also sometimes... I just Meryl Streep just lights up that screen. Uh, but I talked about her too much, and everyone did. Now celebrities, I suppose there's a there should be some condition that we could describe that explains why it is that Hollywood actors, actresses, I think I need to get clarity on this, that they all like to be called actors now because an actress sounds sort of the, the, it's the feminine version of it, so they don't want that. They want to just be... Act, they're all actors. There need, need be no, need be no gender description in that. And uh, you have celebrities now that, including some who are supposed to be really cool. I mean, Amy, Amy Adams is probably top of the game right now for female leads. Uh, this movie Arrival, which I haven't seen but I've heard, is really good. Uh, I, and I've heard it from people that I trust. She's in this video. This bunch of celebrities have made a video. I'm gonna play a little audio of it for you where they are dressed down and singing badly i will survive because they will survive the trump presidency daily mail here says liberal snowflake hollywood stars come under fire for a pathetic video which uh, which shows them singing i will survive about trump's inauguration you've got emma stone amy adams natalie portman all these different celebrities they are paid so much money for yes, it's very hard to be a successful actor by the numbers, and a lot of them had a tough go before they got there. Not all of them; some of them kind of uh, inherit or are some in some way connected to the industry. Everyone wants to, oh, they all struggled so hard. A lot of them did, not all of them did. But it's such a a lucky gig. Let's just call it what it is. It is such a lucky gig for somebody to get paid huge amounts of money, huge to be in movies or on TV shows. And they are now taking time out of their day to make this video and sing terribly, purposefully terribly, they sound awful, about how they will survive the Trump inauguration. Uh, do we have some of that audio play just so people can hear how Out you by my side. But then I spend so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. And I grew strong. And I learned how to get along. And so you're better. back. You have to march from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. I should have changed that stupid log. I should have made you leave your key. If I'd known for just one second. You'd be back to bother me. Go on now, go. Walk out the door. Just turn around now. Because you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one who tried to hurt me with goodbye? Did you think I'd crumble? Do you think I'd lay down and die? Oh, no, not I. I will survive. Oh, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. I've all got right, you all get the my idea. life to... It's fine that they want to sing I Will Survive mostly badly. Well, a couple of them seem to hit a few of the right notes there. Free country, right? They can do whatever they want, but you, you got to sing I Will Survive because of the Trump inauguration. It's really, it really bothers you that much. It hasn't even done anything yet. I sit around thinking to myself, what happens when there's real policy change, assuming that that happens? What happens, as an aside here, when there is not one but two vacancies on the Supreme Court, which may very well occur in Trump's first four years? I've heard some rumors, seen some rumors out there on the interwebs 
that Justice Anthony Kennedy could retire. So you would have the spot left open by the uh, the sad uh, sad passing of Justice Anthony Scalia and perhaps a retiring Justice Kennedy. They put two conservative jurists in those slots, and that's going to be it for a long time. You will have solidified a right of center because we all know that the Supreme Court now is politicized, even though you can't you can't count on the conservatives on the Supreme Court to just do anything to get their favored policy outcome from their decisions. You absolutely can count on the right to do that. I'm sorry, the left, pardon me, the left to do that. They are solidly on the progressive side of things. No matter what they have to say in their decisions, they'll find a way to do it. Whereas for conservative jurists, yes, they will see things in a way that often upset progressives and the left, but they are not as dependable. They will not completely ignore the text of the law, for example, in order to get a preferred outcome in a decision that will affect policy. They're not going to legislate from the bench as reliably or at all. But just wait till that happens, and you have all these people who are freaking out ever since the day after Hillary lost. I was just thinking about this the other day. I'm bummed that I did not go, not because I wanted to be unkind and I wasn't going to dance around and do a little Buck Victory dance, which I should probably do on a Facebook Live one day because... Hashtag Buck Victory Dance is amazing. Uh, I wasn't going to rub it in anyone's faces. I just wish I had gone over to the Hillary headquarters at the Javits Conventions. Not their headquarters, but their election night gathering at the Javits Convention Center here in New York City so that I could have seen, just as a historical presence, uh, a historical background, have seen the faces and been around. It was it was like a funeral in New York City for at least 24 hours after, and some would say it still is. I think a lot of people have forgotten. But the day after Trump beat Hillary, I was walking around the streets. I'm telling you, you could just feel it. And it's a weird thing when you're not even speaking to people on the street, but you can tell there's... It reminded me a little bit of the energy on the street after the blackout in New York City. There was that huge blackout after Hurricane Sandy, and I was in a... A hotel that I know I was in a hotel. I was only in a hotel because my the apartment I was living in had so much mold that it was like uninhabitable, and uh, insurance was paying for me to stay in a hotel while they tried to fix it. So the now now you know the reality. It wasn't like I well I was in a hotel eating caviar and making sure that my monocle didn't fall in, fall into my uh, truffled scrambled eggs. Although I do make truffled scrambled eggs for myself, which are amazing. Uh, it was because I had a problem with my apartment. I needed to get out. So the uh, next day after the big blackout happened, there were enormous wandering mobs of people on the street just trying to find a place to plug in their iPhones. And a lot of them were in a state of of some shock afterwards, too. When your lights go out in your apartment and you're on the 20th floor and you got to walk down all the stairs and you're in darkness all around you, it was it was a little harrowing there. And as they made their way into areas that still had power, uh, that you can understand. It was in daylight, but the vibe on the street was really weird. It was like that after Hillary lost. Just imagine these actors are worried about how they will survive, so to speak. It's going to get a lot worse. Uh, Team, we'll be back in a few. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, team, a lot of people have been asking me, are, are you going to the inauguration? And uh, the answer is no. I can't abandon my post in the Freedom Hut. I can't just decide to up and leave the hut for a week or even a few days to go party with, well, Trump and Trump's peeps. Not exactly a star-studded celebrity athon down there. I did, <laughs> I, will, I will admit this to you all now. I did get invited to some Obama inauguration parties, which I went to because I was a single man at the time in D.C., and the parties were supposed to be pretty good, and I remember there were even some very well-known music acts that performed at some of the parties in, in, in small venues. So, you know, I, I, I just want to come clean with all of you. I'm not going to pretend that when someone said, I think it was... Um, I want to I say maybe Ludacris performed at one of them, but that's probably you're going to Google that, and that's not true. It was, it was just, there was someone, maybe Nelly, I don't know, and I, I'm not trying to be vague, or I, I really don't remember, um, and not even because I was so inebriated, although that would have been fun too. Uh, it just it was a, a kind of a blur at that point in time. So I, I was down there and uh, partied a little bit with the squad. Uh, such as it is, um, definitely uh, enjoyed some time with my D.C. friends, and it was very festive in D.C. Everybody was really excited about at least the parties, whether they were Democrats and Obama voters or not. It was quite a time to be in town. I was not around for Obama's victory, but I was there for the inauguration, and I, I remember the whole the whole city was completely a flutter. Everybody was so pumped up about the Obama presidency because he was going to fix everything. He was going to, you know, keep the keep the rise of the seas and all that sort of stuff. He's going to do all sorts of things. Uh, so that didn't happen. You know, he's going to stop the rise of the seas and let the planet heal. Try to remember some good inauguration party stories for you. I don't really have any right now. Um, I, I they would have to go back into some of the vault of Buck's private life to get anything even vaguely interesting. And I, I, it wasn't that good, obviously, because nothing really comes to mind. I bring all this up because the Trump inauguration, from what I see here, looks very much like it's going to have some nasty protests going on. They're going to have an anti-capitalist march. There's going to be road blockades. There's going to be disruptions to inauguration balls. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that you didn't see at all with Obama, by the way. I don't remember. I don't remember any disruptions of any Obama. And I was in D.C. and went to some Obama events again, not because like, I've been a registered Republican for as long as I've been voting and all that stuff. Don't don't get confused. Uh, but there just were some good parties that I got free tickets to because I knew some people. Uh, I used to know people. Now I. No, now I just know all of you. I just do radio every day. And I, I don't do the, this, the this sort of hip city Democrat things anymore. I just come into the Freedom Hut and hang out with my fellow patriots on the radio. I'm trying to think of something that was worthwhile from all that. But in any event, there are going to be blockades. Now that we're at the Trump inauguration, there are going to be blockades. And there's going to be all kinds of problems. Distru a, a group calling itself, and hat tip the Daily Caller for this one, uh, hashtag Disrupt J20 is very active in the planned protest for the inauguration, according to what we can see online here. And 
organizers for Disrupt J20 are planning to kick off the inauguration protests on January 18th with a, quote, gay dance party outside of Vice President-elect Mike Pence's Chevy Chase home. So they're going to people's homes to, you'd say, express themselves, but there's a level of intimidation there, too. I, I don't think that it's appropriate to show up at someone's private home at all and harass them. Uh, I don't think that that's a mature thing to do. Do you have the legal right to stand out on the street? Well, I guess it depends on the laws of Chevy Chevy Chase. I've spent some time in Chevy Chase. Very nice area. Oh, yes. Lots of very uh, well-heeled folks in Chevy Chase. It's pretty. Really close to D.C. too. D.C. is different from New York in that way. If you want to get to homes that have yards in New York, you have to drive. If you're in Manhattan, you've got to drive at least 20 or 30 minutes before you tend to see any of that in dc you can you're one moment you're walking and you're in georgetown you're on wisconsin avenue and you keep walking and then all of a sudden there's houses with yards or i guess georgetown has houses with yards too but i I mean it turns into real suburbs sorry i digress uh they're planning to be annoying on the inauguration they're going to do all kinds of things to disrupt it it's just mean I know that this isn't the most astute political analysis you're going to hear on this subject, although a lot of people think their analysis on everything is astute. Just having a moment here where I get to tell you, why does everything have to be so nasty and so hateful all the time when it comes to anything having to do with Trump? The Trump people aren't allowed to have a party without there being protests and all this stuff. They've got four years, at least, to protest Trump at State of the Union addresses or all all sorts of events, and the media's all in on this stuff they can't just do it then there's forget about the honeymoon from the media before trump even takes the presidency now we have to see that dc may turn into pandemonium people that are just trying to have a good time and go out and celebrate a bit they're not allowed that they're not allowed that and the left is really relentless this whole notion of protesting and how being a social justice warrior gives you a right to just be a giant pain in the butt all the time. This really is a disease of the leftist mind. This isn't something that is bipartisan. You don't see conservatives just showing up everywhere, all over the country, constantly trying to be a wet blanket on the other side's fun. We just don't have that same mentality. We don't have that same culture of protest and agitation and community organizer crap. So they're not even going to let folks who are out there in black tie and trying to go to events and just enjoy themselves. Nope, not going to. They're not going to stop for a moment and think maybe some of those people that's really meaningful to them. Maybe they have trouble in their own lives and this is uh, something they've been looking forward to, a real moment to escape. No, they're going to block access. They're going to block traffic. They're going to cause problems. As if we didn't already know how much they hate Trump and everybody who supports it. All right, team, uh, third hour coming up here in just a few minutes. 888-900-3393. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. 
Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Hour three is upon us, which is always uh, a fun part of the show. As I like to say, all parts of the show are so fun. But hour three, I feel like we're kicking it into another another gear sometimes. Maybe not. I don't know. You tell me. Over the weekend, I made gluten-free cornbread, and Ms. Molly made turkey chili. And I will tell you, both fantastic, perhaps things to add into Buck's Cooking and History Facebook Live that I'm planning to do one day soon. I might even do Books with Buck tomorrow. I'm thinking about that, where I sit and do a Facebook Live. I probably have to sit on the floor. My bookshop is not that big because I live in an apartment in New York City without much space at all. Uh, and the the bookshelf that I have would be, people would probably say, oh, Buck, you should have a lot more books. I've sold so many books over the years back to the Strand Books or donated them in many cases. It's, it's an astonishing thing, you know. You think that whenever you want a book, it's exp- not expensive. Obviously, you can get them for free at the library if you borrow them, and there's any number of ways to buy them online at low prices, although they always tack on the 4 or $5 shipping fee, which is now all of a sudden you're paying for the book. Uh, I've given away so many books to the Strand Bookstore and sold them to the, back to the Strand Bookstore, and I, I had to sort of cut myself off. I used to go there and buy and go there and buy, and I realized I've got enough books even now in my apartment for the next, if I really buckle down, the next 12 to 18 months, if I'm being realistic. So I'm not buying any more new books uh, because I don't want to have... It's also the thing, if you move a lot in New York City, which I've done as well, every time they raise the rent, I'm like, I got I to gotta move because I can't afford it. Uh, you don't want to be carrying too many books. So most of the ones that I keep are either the ones that I have a sort of have a special resonance with me or are still TB TBF TB to be finished or I don't know some of them are collectors items at some level at least in the sense that they maintain a value and my book on uh, Islam and dimitude I think that book you get now if you try to get a line it's 60 bucks or something for some yeah hey it's like an investment I bought it for 10 bucks years ago and it's out of print now. It's become more rare. I'm sure one of you are about to send me a link to how you can get it for 4 bucks on some site somewhere. But generally speaking, it's more expensive. Okay. Uh, and also turkey, chili, and gluten-free cornbread, I have to tell you. Very good very good options for when it's cold outside. It was snowy and not that nice in New York City over the weekend. So just dropping that out there. Uh, I also bumped into, this is what I was thinking about the weekend, a Black Lives Matter protest it was small it was not particularly uh not particularly loud compared to some of the others that i've seen but the usual stuff signs up about police violence and and killer cops maybe there were 100 people in the protest it's kind of funny because you have 100 people in the protest walking through the snow and i they i happened to be walking in a way that i just crossed i sort of was the T in the intersection I crossed where they were walking. And there were almost as many cops as there were protesters. And to me, this was a particularly fitting, uh, particularly fitting circumstance. You've got all these people chanting about killer cops, police violence, police brutality. We know I talked to you last Friday about how Loretta Lynch gave a speech and part of the speech, I think, was about Charlotte. I didn't see that part of it, to be honest with you, but I did see the part where she talked about Chicago over 3,000 shootings, over 700 homicides in Chicago last year, and we're being told that the police don't have training that it makes them racially sensitive enough. I just, it's a, look, the, the response you get from the left is we can hold the police accountable and work on violence. That's a lie. It's a dodge. 
because this has nothing. This is they're linked for one by denigrating the police. You're making them feel much less empowered to do their jobs. Anybody who's been in a circumstance where they work for the government and they feel like they may be the fall guy or fall girl for something knows what I'm talking about. You don't ever want to be the one that they're going to all point the finger at and blame. And if you don't have top cover from the bureaucracy, it really puts a, a damper on your ability and willingness to do your job. If you are thinking that doing something in good good faith was always a term that we would hear inside the CIA for when we would discuss legal issues. It wasn't like when I was a CIA officer, we were told, oh, don't worry, it's the CIA. We do spy stuff, you know, sneaky, sneaky, little ninja skills here and there. If you mess up, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We've got your back. No, it was, you know, if you have to, if you have to do any number of things, especially anything that involved uh, use of force or possible use, use of force, it was going to trigger all sorts of legal uh, all sorts of legal mechanisms, and it was we were so overlawyered there. But I always remember being told you had to be conducting your job in good faith. And the understanding that we had then was okay. Well, we know what that means. Police don't have that backup right now in a lot of places. They don't feel like they do. And given the Justice Department inquiries into police conduct in all sorts of places, do you think? Step back for a second. Do you think that when the DOJ investigates a police department, a huge one like Chicago PD, uh, or but just name one, any department really, but especially in the larger ones, what they're not they're not going to find a few instances, or or even I don't know how many, but they're not going to find instances of police messing up, police brutality, police problems. Of course they are. They're not going to see that it's a very hard, thankless job especially in the early days. I can only speak for New York, but the cops make very little money here when they start out. They're, the, the salary is really low. Uh, very tough, a tough gig. And I don't just mean for those who are in the worst crime areas. It just you show up. You got all these rules, the patrol guide. It's not an easy, it's not an easy gig in, in, in a lot of places. Maybe if you're the one sheriff in a whole county and you just get to drive around and everyone likes you and waves to you, that sounds great. But in New York City... It's a lot of standing around, a lot of walking around. It's really, honestly, oftentimes a very boring job from what my friends who are uniformed tell me. Not all the time, but a lot of times you get, what do you, do you think it's, you think it's fun to be the NYPD officers who are standing in front of the turnstiles on a frigid day, just making sure that no one's getting their handbag swiped or anything? It's, I'm glad they're there, but it's not fun. It's not, not exciting. You know, it's not like you're watching Hawaii Five O and the cops coming off the beach. You know, they've got a six shooter in his, in the waistband of his, board shorts it's not like that uh, so uh, back to cops and not feeling supported it's a huge it has a, a huge impact on their jobs and so when the left talks about how we can hold police accountable and decry violence that's really disingenuous that's a really dishonest formulation for what's going on because the truth is they only want to hold the police accountable and not talk about any of the rest of the problems one of the most damaging things that i've seen with people with institutions uh, is the consistent desire to always evade accountability. To find some explanation for one's failures or for whether we're talking about an individual or an institution. We'll make it about individuals here for a second, so it's just easier for me to talk about. But whenever I see people who are trying to hide from reality, 
is a recognition that this will eventually catch up with them. We all know we all know people like this. Hopefully, me, you, we don't have too much of this in our own lives. Although I think all of us are guilty to one degree or another of this. There are things we want to avoid. There are uncomfortable truths we'd rather not address. And for many of us, we have weak spots, and we know it. Whether it's not really wanting to think about whether we're having two or you know one drink, or is it really two or three every day after work, or seven, or whatever the case may be. Uh, whether we're hiding from the mail because we don't want to see what the bills are, or we don't want to hear the truth from our family about where we're putting our careers in terms of our personal lives. Are we? You can just do this all day. People evading accountability, though, it becomes a very self-defeating cycle because if you evade accountability, you also then steal from yourself the ability to self-correct. And self-correction is a wonderful thing, is a beautiful thing, is a really empowering thing. I remember a friend of mine, I was really unhappy when I started out at Langley, not right away, right away, of course, you, you kind of hear James Bond theme song playing in the back of your head every time you, you drive up to those gates at Langley. Dun, 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 dun. And then after you've showed up to your tiny cubicle in sub-basement E7 for the third or fourth month, and you're certainly not making very much money, and you realize that no one around you thinks you're that cool because there's a lot of them, and you know, they're not, they're not, no one else in the CIA is impressed that you work for the CIA. So you have to start finding ways to find real meaning in what you do day in and day out. I became very unhappy for a little bit because I was a junior person and I thought, and I was assigned an account when I got there. This is just, I was ambitious and wanted to, I was there to make it. I was there to make an impact. I knew it wasn't going to make any money. I knew it wasn't going to get famous. I knew it wasn't going to be about me. So I wanted to be about the mission. And I, I, I had an account. I, I was on a team that had some, and it's very strange to talk about terrorism as having a good account because if we're going to be completely honest, and I am completely honest with you, that means that you're covering a part of the world that there's a lot of horrible stuff going on, very active jihadist violence and suicide bombings and all the, all the things that we think of when we talk about counterterrorism. If you're on a particularly active account, it means that you're reading about, covering, tracking, assisting in the capture of even whether we're, this is a war zone or some of the other places we could be working and i originally was on an account it just stunk it was there was no action there was very little for me to do and i became really down about the whole thing because i wanted to be in the cia so badly i had thought this would be the best job ever and when i got it i was ecstatic i mean i couldn't do backflips almost when I was in college, I taught myself how to walk on my hands really well. I used to walk around the hallways on my hands when I was writing my thesis. That shows you how bored I was and how cold and socially uh, confining Amherst was. If you, got, if you got sick of drinking out of a red Solo cup from a keg in the basement of a dorm after sophomore year, you were really just left with reading books and doing your work. This may have been why my grades went from B-ish to A's <laughs> sometime around... Uh, the end of sophomore year or uh, junior year, uh, I had sort of two, I had two halves of the academic at Amherst. Buck, who was you know getting it done, but not really the gentleman's B plus for sure here and there, and then A's. <laughs> like I'm, I've had enough. I don't need I don't need any more beer. I don't need any more of this nonsense. I I gotta get serious here. 
it came up in some of my job interviews after I graduated from school. They're like, what? So all of a sudden, you know, you really have a a change and, uh, you know, heavier course load and more intense courses and everything else. And I said, yeah, I just got sick of drinking beer out of solo cups and not, you know, listening to music, uh, top 40 music out of someone's stereo that was blasting to the point where it was, you know, the sound distortion was happening. Uh, but CIA, back to CIA and self-correct. I'm going to bring this all around. I know this is, I'm dancing here, everybody. I'm all over the place today. But with self-correction, uh, I was at the agency and I felt like this is a huge mistake. I had a soft but very, very lucrative offer from a financial institution that came up right before I went down to Langley. And I had said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do CIA instead. So it's going to be a Wall Street guy. And instead, I went into the CIA, and that obviously had a huge impact on my life and changed things. But I was talking to some friends of mine, and there were people around me. And I was pretty good at convincing people that I had been shafted. I had been sort of cut out of the action. And I, I didn't like my team that much, and everything was. And there was one guy who I wasn't even particularly close with, wasn't even a very good friend. But I had mentioned this to him, and he kind of looked at me like, or you're you're inside this you're in the CIA you're here you've got a clearance you just started you haven't made any mistakes you, you you're still creating your reputation here you're still building you're at the very start of a career and he would just send me emails take action that's what he would tell me take action he wasn't a great friend or even a particularly nice guy but it was just interesting to see how I was talking about how it wasn't going the way I wanted it to, and everybody around was, oh, man, that's not, yeah, that's no good. You know, you're you're a talented guy. You got to, oh, you got to do this and that. And that was very nice. And those were the people that was like, well, this is what my friends in Langley were telling me. There was one guy I wasn't really a friend. He was just to take action. And I remember he would send me, it was, it was belligerent. He would send me a note, just say, take action. And by action, he meant get yourself into a better situation. Don't sit around and be... Oh, why didn't I should have I was brought in to do this. They've got me doing that. My boss is a jerk and a moron, which was true. But get into a different situation. But that was a moment for me, at least professionally, where I felt like, okay, this is this is now account. I'm accountable. This is accountability. If I stay here, if I choose to just put my head down and continue to be miserable, that's on me. And I ended up then leaving and going to the Iraq office and having a a very uh, worthwhile experience as a CIA analyst in a relatively short period of time, all in 2005, 2010, so five years. And that was all started by early on within my first year thinking to myself, I, I've got to get I got to get into a place where I'm really being utilized and I can have an impact. And then there was the frustration of getting to the top reaches of the analytic cadre and still feeling like you don't have and that's a whole discussion for another day. But it's important to hold yourself accountable. It's important to think about what you can do to better yourself professionally, personally and otherwise. And that requires a degree of honesty. And what I see with the discussions about criminality and rising crime and violence in some cities and some parts, some areas of this country is there are people who are always offering, they're always offering to those communities the excuse. They're always preventing accountability. They think they're being helpful, and they're doing it also for their own reasons of in, uh, increasing their own power and their connections into these communities, and also as a means of 
preparing to tear down the other side when they try to talk about things like the destruction of the family and uh, the lack of jobs and the uh, whether your work ethic coming from parents and all the things that you would want to discuss if you were having a really fulsome, well-rounded talk about how does a community, how does one city, and really just a few areas, subdivisions, subsections of that city, have over 3,000 shootings in one year in the United States in 2016. How does that happen? The left holds up cops. The left, in this long story or analogy or whatever we call it, are, are the friends of mine inside of Langley who are saying, yeah, man, so wrong what they've done to you. You know, you, you totally, they, they promised you that you'd have good stuff going on and, and you, you don't. That wasn't good. It was much better to have somebody say, take action. And then I went around and f- talked to other people who were more helpful about, okay, well, what do I do? But at least understand that this is on me. And Chicago and other places that are having huge spikes in crime need to understand this is on those communities at some level. These are people in those community do- communities doing this. This is a systemic problem. We can sit around and talk about the cops all day. We can have Black Lives Matter marches in New York City, which is almost as safe as Tokyo. Very little violent crime here for a city of this size. Yeah, they can march through the streets and talk about how Black Lives Matter. It's not helping anybody in Chicago. You know what would help people in Chicago? Discussions about where the problem really is to try and bring about some accountability so that there can be self-correction in the community for individuals and for the city or the areas of the city that need it overall. 888-900-3393 team. I'll be back in just a few. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I see the reports here about Democrats and some Republicans who are anti-Trump, who are going to leave D.C. for the inauguration. This is now this is now a thing. Uh, inauguration departures by Politico, uh, inauguration departures by operatives on the losing side of an election are common every four years, but they're taking on a different tone this time after an unusually ugly election season. Many Democrats are on no mood to see the swearing in of a man they consider a unique threat to the nation. Uh, Democrat attack dog David Brock is gathering more than 150 top Democratic donors in South Florida over inauguration to discuss how to hold the incoming Trump administration accountable. Okay, I want to talk to you about this because we were just discussing accountability before. They don't want accountability for the Trump administration. They want to destroy it. There's a difference. There's a very important difference. And... I want to bring you into my thinking on this, but we're going to go into a break. When we come back, we'll deep dive in together. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. Speak your mind. 888 900 
So, team, over the weekend, I, I popped into Fox and Friends on Saturday morning. I saw our old buddy Pete Hegseth, uh, which was which was great. Waking up at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday was not the easiest thing for me, but spreading freedom—it's not going to spread itself, and someone's got to step up and get it done. So, I got up at the crack of not before dawn. I got up in the—it was still pitch black outside—to go spread some freedom, and I, of course, I did that, and. <laughs> Uh, I got there and we were talking about Trump and Flynn and this brouhaha over whether General Flynn called Russia to undermine the sanctions that Barack Obama had put in place. This is, as I see it, a, a tempest in a teapot, a mountain out of a molehill. First of all, how they know, how do they know about the phone call? I'm still waiting for reporting on that. It, it may have come out and I just missed it, but... That seems to me to be a very strange and possibly very troubling development that there would be, what, a leak from the intel community of a U.S. citizen making a foreign phone call? Start You start poking around as to who has access to that kind of information and what sorts of programs that information would come from, and it's very concerning. I mentioned this to you on Friday. But... This is where I am on this, and I, I wanted to put this out there so that you can understand how I feel about so much of the news that comes in about Trump and Democrats. There are some, there are some individuals out there who are in the media, uh, including some who come on this show, who are very concerned about Trump ties to Russia, and I and I, be, I completely believe them in that they're doing the, or that is how they feel. It's not some show. It's not some anti-Trump thing. They really worry about this. And particularly some conservatives who have been critics of Putin and Russia consistently since before Trump even won the election are very concerned about Trump ties to Russia. Here's why I am on this so that you can and I always want to tell you how I frame these issues so that you know that I'm not I'm not a oh Trump, 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 MAGA, 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 America, great again, all that stuff. I'm hoping the Trump administration is great. I support the Trump administration insofar as they adhere to Republican principles and try to enact as many of the promises made during the campaign as possible. And anytime they deviate, I plan to make a lot of noise about it. I know many others do, too. And if there's real malfeasance, I will also call that out. I see some who are fellow conservatives that I think, for one reason or other, have already bought into the notion that Trump it's just a matter of time before we find out that Trump is a Manchurian candidate for Russia or is a under the influence of Russia in a way that is deeply distressing to U.S. national security that is uh, concerning to all Americans. I see that they already believe this. Here's why I stop short of that. I always have in my head, and this is part of this is part of being someone who was at CNN on air and behind the scenes for two years. The left hates this guy so much. They hate him in a way that they haven't hated a Republican politician since Nixon, I think. That might be fair to say. And, of course, we all know what happened there. And that's the plan here. All this stuff about David Brock and these other Democrat activists who are out there talking about accountability for the administration. That is not what is wanted here. They want an end to this administration. They want Donald Trump to either resign or be 
removed from office in disgrace and the Democrats to sweep back into power in the midterms. And I don't know, Cory Booker or whomever they choose to be the Democrat Party's figurehead in the next election to finally set things right and put us back on that path towards progressive collectivism. That's all this stuff about how we just want Trump to respect the Constitution and we were they've rediscovered the Constitution. I guess that's a good thing, although they'll forget about it when they have someone from their side in power right away. But all of that is a smokescreen in my in my estimation for a much more serious effort to destroy the administration, to to take to take Donald Trump out of office through legal means, through some investigation, through some scandal, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I can't speak for the rest of the Republican Party in this. Well, obviously, that's <laughs> that's a self uh, self-explanatory statement. But what I saw with opposition to Barack Obama was th- that most of us didn't want his policies to be enacted. We didn't agree with his agenda. But I wasn't sitting around constantly agitating for him to be impeached. I wasn't sitting around constantly talking about how he I wasn't part of, obviously wasn't a birther and all that stuff that existed with Republicans. And anytime you bring up this discussion, it's going to be thrown in your face that there was the birther movement and that Donald Trump was a part of the birther movement or at least brought it up or whatever, however you want to describe it. And yet it, the reality is that the Democrats as a party right now are as anti-Trump and vitriolically anti-Trump are as hateful of Trump as the worst small segments of the right were of Obama from the very beginning. But the whole Democratic Party is pretty much there. They all want him gone. They all want him out. This is also why I don't believe that Trump is going to sell out the Republican base or the conservative. Oh, I I shouldn't even say that. The Trump base, whatever that is. Why? There's no going back to the other side for him now. There's no New York Times is going to start writing glowing editorials about him. We're way past that. As I see it, I could be wrong. But I, on the Russia issues and on these other news items that, primarily Russia right now, there might be other stuff that comes up with Trump's business ties. I always apply a lens of skepticism to it, not because I'm trying to be reflexively defensive of Trump. That's not what I'm trying to do. I certainly wasn't that way during the primary, and I didn't feel like I was that way during the general. I just always start from the premise that the Democrats are trying to end this presidency any way they can. And the press is all in on it, and this is the main effort This isn't some secondary thing. This isn't a fringe part of the party. This is what the overwhelming consensus of the Democrat Party and the Democrat machine in this country, the whole establishment, is trying to do. They don't want a better Trump administration. They don't want to meet him halfway on policies. They're not looking for Trump to triangulate. They're not looking for moderation. They want him gone. Full stop. They want him gone. And so when I see the reporting about ties to Russia and Mike Flynn made this phone call, the phone call was around the time of the sanctions. Even if Flynn had said something about the sanctions, which he says he didn't, I've heard a lot of things about Flynn. I've never heard that he's a dishonorable guy. He served his country for decades, made it made his way all the way to the head of the DIA. It did show poor judgment, in my opinion, 
for him to be a paid contributor at RT. And I can speak to that with some experience, as I've told you before. RT, can we send a car for you, Buck? Can we, you know, we'll send a helicopter, anything. Please come on RT for just one time. See how you like it. Wouldn't do it. I flat out refuse to go on RT. I flat out refuse to go on Al Jazeera America because I do think there are limits. I know some people say, well, that's why no one should go on Fox News, and that's ridiculous. Half the country doesn't support the basic premises of RT, I hope. <laughs> maybe, I'm over, maybe I'm overestimating America right now. Uh, and so I, th- I do believe that was poor judgment on Flynn's part. But you'll see this because this has already happened a few times now. The left is looking for excuses to criminalize people in the Trump administration or anybody who is viewed as helping the Trump administration. I've told how many times have I said to you that the humorless punks in Langley were always and they're always Democrats were always the ones who would talk about the Hatch Act. Oh, Hatch Act violation. You make a joke about something related to the political party. Yeah, it's a Hatch Act violation. If you put up some funny poster on one of our. As I did, of course, because I was doing funny stuff all the time. It's like it's like a cross between James Bond and Archer. For those of you who've seen that cartoon. And. Though every time there'd be something coming, she would come from some whiny, progressive, Howard Dean loving, Bernie Sanders voting CIA analyst. It was always from them, though conservatives never said it because we just know that's never going to happen. There's never going to be any action taken against somebody for their support of left wing causes because the left owns the government bureaucracy. It's a ve- which is. Part of why there's been such a rejection on the right of bureaucracy is because it's infested by the left. They run this stuff. They control it. Also something to keep in mind as we go forward. That's a very real dynamic and a troubling one. But when I see this reporting about, oh, the criminalization of everything, I'm jumping around here a little bit. The Hatch Act they're bringing up about Comey, and they're investigating Comey for what he did with Hillary's, they want payback for that. They're going to try to get him on the Hatch Act. Never going to get him on the Hatch Act. Should go take a long walk off a short pier. Never going to happen. They bring up the Logan Act with General Flynn. They don't stop to tell you usually that the Logan Act comes from 1799. There's never been a successful prosecution in the history of the United States under the Logan Act. I think there was one case of someone in Kentucky indicted for speaking to the French in in 1799 and then the Louisiana Purchase happened and no big deal. It wasn't 1799. I forget the year, but it was Louisiana Purchase time and some guy in Kentucky spoke to some French people, something like nothing happened. Zero successful prosecutions using the Logan Act in, what is it, a couple of hundred years plus? But they're bringing it up for Flynn because, yeah, that's where they're going to make that's where they're going to make the case. It's unconstitutional, by the way, because you could claim that any number of things could influence a it could influence a foreign government with regard to its relations. To the United States, this is it's a nonsense law to begin with. And it came out around the same time as the Alien and Sedition Act, which were flagrantly in contradiction with the spirit and let all uh, spirit and wording of the First Amendment. So but they'll write about this. Well, Flynn violated the Logan Act. Because they're just trying to find, like, the annoying kid in the classroom who's trying to be the teacher's pet and is always looking for some way to, to curry favor. And saying that some kids, eh, some kids are late. Some kids are, you know, sneaking snacks when they're not supposed to. 
the Democrats are just coming at, at the Trump team with all this stuff all the time. And it's not helpful. It's not constructive. It's all hyperventilating. It's all exaggerated. So when I hear more stuff about Russia, it's not that I'm unwilling to believe that there could be unsavory or perhaps illicit and maybe even illegal contacts between some members of the Trump team and the and the Russians or business. I'm I'm open eyes and open ears about all of it. I'm just not going to let them create a narrative before the facts are out in order to advance a political agenda. And so every time something comes out about Trump that's negative, I don't start from Trump is bad, he's the worst, he's going to destroy America. I start from the perspective of the left wants to destroy Trump at all costs. They will do more or less anything to achieve that goal uh, within the boundaries of not themselves getting locked up, I think. But they'll go to extreme lengths. And so it's with that in mind that I evaluate each piece of information as it comes in about Trump's ties to Russia. Because it's not a fair game. These are not objective people. And the conservatives that I know that seem to believe more of this or that there's more nefarious there's more nefarious stuff going on behind the scenes with Trump and Russia than we even know about. Okay, maybe that's true. I just want proof. I just don't want the left to be able to get away with what they've already done, which is make things seem much worse than they are. And to be doing so explicitly, purposefully, because they hate Trump and everything he stands for and everyone who voted for him and the Republican Party because he now is at the head of the Republican Party. Uh, Team 888-900-3393. Buck Sexton here. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton. Team, please download our uh, podcast here from the Freedom Hut. Go to theblaze.com slash buck dash sexton or go on SoundCloud or Stitcher or iTunes. If there's a subscribe button, which there is on SoundCloud and on iTunes, please subscribe. It is uh, very helpful uh, and I really appreciate it. And that way also you can get the show and you can share it with people. I have to play this for you. John Lewis, civil rights hero, Democratic representative, just coming out and saying it. Trump, not a legitimate president. Play it. Um forged relationships with many presidents. Do you plan on trying to forge a relationship with Donald Trump? You know, I believe in forgiveness. I believe in trying to work with people. Uh, It's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected, Mm -hmm. and they helped destroy the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't plan to attend inauguration. It will be the first one that I miss uh, since I've been in the Congress. You, You cannot be at home with something that you feel that is wrong. That's going to send a that's right. going to send a big message. Yeah, it is. It is sending a big message. I do not remember Republican members of Congress saying Obama was not their president. I don't remember that. I know there was acrimony. I know there was nasty stuff. 
But this is really damaging. And this gives you a sense of what the mindset is right now. I'm telling you, they don't want Trump to be held accountable. They don't want Trump to do a better job. They don't want to guide his policies. They want to destroy this administration. As I said, full stop. All right, team, much more coming tomorrow, live every day this week from the Freedom Hut. Until then, as always, Shield Time. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.